0: witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. John to the seven and I want us to stop right there. Let's pray together. Father we just thank you so much for your eternal word. We pray father that you would use these verses for your glory in our lives teach us by your Holy Spirit, help us to have hearts that are teachable and humble and ready to obey your word by your grace and by your power. Would you make application of these verses to us uniquely as only your spirit can, and we entrust it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we began last week uh, studying the book of Revelation. It's a very interesting book, it really is. It's beyond interesting it's uh, mesmerizing. I mean, it's it arrests you as you read it. It's just so full of so many different things. Uh, everybody seems to have an opinion of the book of Revelation. Have you noticed that? Everyone has an, some kind of opinion about it. Most people uh, that have never read it seem to be experts in it <laughs> and know everything there is to know just about about the book of Revelation, even though they've never read it. Uh, and the tabloids sure, have, sure know that people have an interest in it because it seems like from one week to the next, you go into the checkout counter and you see that, oh, Jesus is coming back next week in a Ford Pinto. Didn't know that, you know, or some wacky, crazy thing that because they know that we have an interest in end times. We have an interest in the end of the world. And what's interesting about the book of Revelation is that we're actually going to be reading certain passages that include us. Think about that. We're going to be there, and we're looking right now into a, a clear picture that we're going to be in the middle of, actually looking and seeing us uh, in the future. everyone to see what you're going to be like in the future or see your life related to the, to the future, you know, years from now? We're going to do that in Revelation. We're going to see certain scenes and we're going to say, we're, we're there at that moment. That's that's an incredible blessing. So last week we started the book. We only got through the first five words. That was a new thing for me. I've never done that before. Um, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's all we covered. And so we looked at the, the meaning of the word revelation, and the meaning of the word, it's in Greek, it's apocalypsis, and it, it's made up of two words, apa, which is um, uh, away, and calypto, which means to cover, so it's taking the cover away. It's, the best translation would be unveiling, and I talked about that when you see someone that's a sculptor, and they have this work of art or a statue or something, and they cover it with a with a blanket, or they cover it with a sheet or something, you don't know really anything about that statue or that, that uh, sculpture until you see all of it. At a moment in time, you go from nothing to z- to everything in a split second. And so that's what revelation means it means unveiling. But if you look in the definition or how we use the term apocalyptic uh, in our verbiage or our conversations, usually it has to do with dooming, you know. Uh, cataclysm and all this stuff that's harsh and judgment and there is a lot of that in revelation there's there's God pouring out his judgment in this on this world but it's it's way more than that but I want to emphasize again that revelation you need to think of that word revelation as God's intent for us God wants to unveil things he wants to reveal everything in this book he wants us to understand his heart behind the entire book is that he would reveal truth to us so that we can know it but unfortunately people think "Oh, it's too hard to understand it's hopelessly complex or it's meant to be cryptic it's like a code book or something or or some treasure map or, or some crazy stuff like that or they're afraid of it no christian should ever be afraid of the book of revelation we're on the right side of truth we look at the end of the book and God wins. Thus, we win. There's no reason to be afraid of the book of Revelation. So what I wanted to do last week, and I tried to do, is cover five rules of interpretation for prophecy, and I just want to go over them real quickly with you. I don't know if we're going to put them on the screen or not. Hopefully, they'll get up there, but we need to, first of all, interpret scripture literally related to prophecy. Um, we need to look at set the, the, the prophecies related to his second coming the same way we look at the prophecies of his first coming. He fulfilled all those prophecies literally. So he's going to fulfill the prophecies literally related to his second coming. The symbols even have a literal fulfillment. So we need to understand that. Secondly, we need to watch carefully for time elements which are out of order or have large gaps. There are many times in Scripture where you'll have prophecies and they'll be separated they won't be separated by very much. Like his first coming is in one verse, and the next verse is talking about his second coming. We looked at an example of that last week. So we need to be careful of time gaps and so forth. Also, we have to ask ourselves, has the prophecy been fulfilled already? Or is it yet to be fulfilled that 's very important when we 're looking at prophecy, also we need to let scripture interpret scripture that 's a general principle for Bible interpretation, but especially with prophecy, we need to let prophecy interpret prophecy and let god 's word interpret the meaning of these verses and then lastly, the big picture has to remain jesus christ he 's the spirit of prophecy we 're told in scripture, so it always has to be revealed or understood or studied in a way that that we see Jesus. And so I want us to know those principles because these principles are the principles I will be using to interpret the book of Revelation. I'll be referring back to these principles. So that's why we need to know them. And that's why I brought them up last week. So you can understand why I'm getting what I'm getting or what, why I'm coming to this p- specific conclusion about what these verses mean is because I'm using these safe principles of Bible interpretation of prophecy. Last week, I also described the book of Revelation It's kind of like the borders to a puzzle. When you put a puzzle together, you start with the borders first. And then everything else you fill in after that. The book of Revelation is the borders to the puzzle. The overall puzzle, once we see the whole thing put together, is a revelation of Jesus Christ and his second coming. But but the book of Revelation isn't intended to be the pieces per se. It's intended to be the framework or the borders of the puzzle. And where we find the, uh, the pieces to the puzzle is in the Old Testament. That's very important. Once we understand that, we'll understand how it's all supposed to fit together. So that's very important for us to know. The Old Testament is very much included in the book of Revelation. Of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation, 278 are direct references to the Old Testament. And then the other verses, God just plainly tells us what the meaning in the the book of Revelation of specific verses uh, are. So so we can be clear, we can know it, there's no mystery to it and so forth. There are some things that it could go either way. We could say it could be this, it could be this, but it's a very small number of verses that we're looking at that would make us go, well, we don't know 100%, but it's probably one of the two or three of these a handful of, of options there. We also need to know that the outline of the book of Revelation has been given to us in the book. Look at verse 19 in chapter 1 there. We'll look at this in more depth when we get to it in six months. But uh, I'm just kidding. I don't know how long it'll take us. But look at verse 19. He gives us a perfect outline of the book. He says, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So the things which you have seen as by the time he gets to verse 19, he's already revealed to John the seven uh, lampstands. He's revealed himself. Jesus has revealed himself physically to John there. So he says that, so that encapsulates chapter one. That's the first third of how this book is kind of uh, divided. Then he says the things which are, which are the things that are currently going on in the churches at the at that time. Chapters two and three uh, constitute the second p- portion, or the, the second third, so to speak, of, of of the book of Revelation, because Jesus is going to write seven letters to seven churches. And we're told in this book that he's writing this book to seven churches and of course it's for all believers through all you know throughout man's history of course but specifically he wrote first to seven churches Paul wrote to 13 churches Jesus wrote to seven churches, and we didn't, people don't realize Jesus has letters, and he wrote letters too, just like uh, the, the, the disciples did. And that's why chapters two and three are, if you have a red letter Bible, are mostly red letters, because it's Jesus' uh, letters to the seven churches. But then he says, and the things which will take place after this. Then that's chapter four on all the way to the end of the book. And I want you to notice a couple words at the end of verse 19. The two last words of the verse says, "After this," that's very important. In verse nineteen, it says, "And the things which will take place after this," that's very important because if you turn over to Revelation chapter four verse one, I want you to turn over there real quick, hold your place in chapter one. Revelation chapter four verse one. Look how it, look how it starts. It says, "After these things." See, that's the same Greek two words that he gives at the end of verse 19, after this. So he's talking about something very specific. So the things that are continue all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. And then he says, after these things, what things? Those are the things that are, the things that are currently going on in the churches in chapters 2 and 3. And then he says, and behold, I, uh, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. There's that word again, after this. Same Greek, two words. Sounds like the rapture to me. And that's why we don't see the rapture or people, believers, on this earth, apart from the 144,000 male virgin Christian um, Jews that, that, that evangelized the world, and, and, we, and the people that get saved after the rapture, we don't see any of the church from chapters 4 all the way to, to uh, way beyond at the very end of, of, of the book. So now you can turn back to chapter 1. So verse 19 gives us that great outline, so we know what God's aiming at. He's, we're looking at the things that, that God had shown John. We're looking at things that are at the, in, in the lives of the churches at that time, which have application to us today. And then we're going to be looking at things of the rapture from chapter 4 on. And it's, it's that outline coupled with understanding that the Old Testament pieces to the puzzle have to be brought from the Old Testament into the understanding of the, the, the border of the puzzle in Revelation that gives us understanding of the book of Revelation. When you understand that outline and when you understand the pieces of the puzzle come from the Old Testament, there's great clarity as you study through this amazing book. And thus you get to realize God's heart for mankind by giving the revelation. He wants us to understand it. He wants to unveil the truth. So it's not cryptic. It's not hard to understand. It's been revealed. Now, the question people ask sometimes is, related to the book is why all the symbolism? Why did God give all these symbols in the book of Revelation where we have to go back to the Old Testament to understand and so forth or or the, the book of Revelation itself has to define? One p- par, uh, possible reason is persecution. That Caesar Nero had already died, the one that Paul dealt with because all the apostles have died now. John's in his mid to late 90s at this point on the Isle of Patmos. He's been... Uh, Banished to that island, uh, he was. They tried to boor, burn him in oil, boil him in oil. That didn't work, so they they sent him over to this island and he's sequestered there. God gives him this revelation, and so it's very possible that John knows that this book is going to go out and people in the churches are going to receive this book. But the problem is, if he's describing how all of mankind's rule or the man's government in this world ends. Well, what would happen if Rome saw that? What if, what if Rome saw Christians with this book no, it's speaking about how Rome's uh, influence and in empire is going to end? There could be more persecution. That's very possible. Also, I think a, a good reason is because it connects, it connects the rest of God's revelation together with the book of Revelation. Because it's so linked to the Old Testament, it shows how God's revelation has been consistent all the way through by using these symbols. And then, third, I think the symbolism could be, have been used by John because it, it it describes things in a more vivid detail. What what brings greater impact when you talk about a one world leader, or you talk about a beast, <laughs> or when you talk about a, a one world religion, or you talk about a harlot who sits atop on top of the beast? It, it's it's the full impact when you're describing these things in symbolic language. It really hits home uh, the 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 seriousness of the situation. So it can definitely be used by the Lord to brand a stronger or more potent image in our minds and in our hearts and and create great impact. Now lastly by way of introduction I want to talk about the fact that this book doesn't just reveal Jesus's judgment or the end of the world. Usually when we think of revelation, we think it's predominantly about the end of the world, but it's not. And if we were to think that, we would miss out on so much that God reveals related to his true intent for the book of Revelation. It's the the singular, remember it's not revelations, it's the singular revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation, the the intent of God God towards his people related to the book of Revelation is that he would reveal Jesus to us. And it's not just Jesus' judgment. It's, it's, there's a lot of things about who He is that we learn uh, that we would never learn it really anywhere else, especially how worthy He is to be worshipped. It's one of the things we see all through the book of Revelation is the Lord Jesus is receiving worship and how worthy He is. And what's interesting is when you study all the different names of Jesus, and there's no other book that gives more names of, or designations of Jesus than the book of Revelation that, I, that I'm aware of, but the most predominant one is the Lamb of God. It appears 28 times in the book of Revelation. Now you think of all this judgment, and in, in Revelation it talks about the wrath of a lamb. That's kind of weird. I mean, when have you seen a, a lamb execute wrath? I mean, it's kind of strange, right? But he's, but he's lifted up and highlighted and showcased as this suffering Lamb of God that without which we could not worship him. We couldn't even go to heaven. We couldn't approach the throne and worship. We couldn't even think about God the way that we do without that sacrifice. So his sacrifice, just like the heart behind communion, is, needs to be at the center of everything that we study in the book of Revelation. And so he reveals himself in his letters to the seven churches. He speaks at the end of the book as well. He, he, I mean, there's so many ways that he reveals himself. It's not just his judgment or the end of the world. We get to know Jesus better by looking at the revelation of who he is. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a privilege. Now notice in verse 1 the chain of custody of Jesus' revelation. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So it's easy to miss if you're not looking for it. But look at all the different times that this that this vision or this revelation is passed on. So you see there, it says it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, it's about him, which God gave him, which the Father, that's one, one, gave him, that's number two, gave Jesus to show his servants, that's three, things which must shortly take place. He sent and signified it by his angel, that's four, to his servant John, that's five. So there's a lot of different times where they're passed on so at the father it's it originated with the father he, the father gave it to the son the son passed it on to his angel his angel passed it on to john and then we're going to see as we look at the letters of the seven churches john passes it on to the senior pastor of the church and it's passed from the senior pastor or implemented to the rest of the body of christ so there's six groups that receive this revelation Or or have this revelation and it's passed on from one to another five times so that's that's something that we need to understand because God revealed it a very specific way he didn't have to do it this way he did it for a very specific reason he did it because this was the best way to reveal this revelation of Jesus Christ to us now notice John also writes things which must shortly take place it's not that they might take place they must take place. And we think about this world, we think about how bad it is, we think about it's not, it kinda of seems sometimes that things are kinda of out of control. They're not out of control. They're going along exactly perfectly on God's timetable to reach his specific end of what it's gonna happen when everything is you know culminates at the at the very, very end. And those things are gonna happen. Not might, they are. They must take place. And when they happen, they're going to happen quickly. That's what the word shortly means. We could mistakenly think that he's talking about these events are going to start to happen soon. And that's not the meaning of the word there. The word is the word from which we get our word tachometer. And it's talking about when these things begin to happen, the rate at which they start happening is going to be very quick, uh, going to be happening quickly. So it's not, because it's been almost 2,000 years. I know God is always causing us to to be dependent upon Him and be ready for Him to come back at any time. His return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. We're supposed to be ready, watching and waiting. All of that's true. But what He's saying here is that these things, when they start to happen, the things that are in the book of Revelation, when they start to occur, they're going to happen quickly. It's going to be one thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And that's what you see when you look at in Matthew 24. That when Jesus laid out for us all these things that happens in the tribulation and so forth, the seven-year tribulation, it's one thing after another, after another, after another. Now notice he also says he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. And the key word there is the word signified. Look at the first four letters of that word. That helps us understand it. The first four letters of signified is sign. Now, related to prophecy, I love how God uses the vessels that he uses to proclaim his word and write down different prophecies. Mankind is different. We're different. We have different personalities. We're diverse and so forth. And these prophets were very different. So God revealed to them different things in different ways using their personalities. You know, we call uh, some people call Isaiah the Shakespeare of, of the Old Testament. Because the way he used beautiful language. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. And he had a certain way of sharing and so forth. Ezekiel was kind of a mystic. He talks and it's about colors and he talks about all these different things and so forth. A lot of these symbols and so forth. And, and he, used, he had a certain personality. Daniel was very gifted. He's a very young man. He has a very sharp mind. And he describes things with incredible detail. And 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 the prophetic time clock so much is revealed by Daniel by the Holy Spirit. Well, John's unique too, and and God knows John. God made John to a certain way, and John was very much into signs. First of all, we need to ask what a sign is. A sign is something that points you somewhere, right? A physical sign. It says, you know. Uh, Ceres is 20 miles away, or Sacramento is an hour and a half, or you're going too fast. That's a sign telling you something. We, have to, we shouldn't ignore that sign, obviously. But spiritual signs, are they point us somewhere too, but God uses a miracle to do it. So signs are miracles with a message, and they point us somewhere as well, and they're very powerful. And John was just wired that way. He was wired to be impressed with signs. How do we know that? Well, look at his gospel. At the end of his gospel, he says, many other works did Jesus do that I suppose if, if, you know, all the books that could be written, that the world couldn't hold all of the books, that if all of his works were contained in, in, in books, the, that there couldn't be a library big enough. So what did he do? He wrote his gospel all centered around seven signs of Jesus being the Messiah. And you can study those. And someday when we go through John, we'll look at each of those seven signs. So it, he, he was just wired that way. So that's how God spoke to him. That's how he could, he, he could experience these things in a way that would be taking advantage of who he was and his personality. So God just said, I'm going to flood you with signs. I'm going to give you visions. I'm going to give you signs. I'm going to, you know, you're going to be caught up to heaven. You're going to be doing all kinds of things because that's who you are. And so he experiences the revelation. It's very important to understand. John experiences the revelation. It wasn't just that he was dictating words that God gave him. He experienced this. That's how. That's who he was. That's just how he was wired. And so we hear words like, I heard. We hear that 28 times. He says, I saw 49 times. He was transported to heaven and back 17 times. He had 44 visions in the book. 22 times he says something was like this, trying to describe it, because he just had no real... St- way to describe it but he says i don't know what it is but it's like this there were other times where he used the word as with describing something that this happened this this beast did this as something else would do this type of of behavior he did shared that 65 times he said behold which means carefully consider 30 times as he's so overwhelmed with the the sensory overload there of what he is seeing and experience he says the word great 84 times A great earthquake. He says so many different times where he says, this was so great. It was so amazing. I experienced it. Angel, 74 times. The word sea, 36 times. He is on an island. (laughs) You know, he's thinking of the water, maybe. I don't know. But he experiences this revelation. So that's why the angel signified it to him. Now look at verse 2. It says, who bore witness to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Again, he saw it. It wasn't just that he wrote it down; he saw it. So, what are those three things? The word of God. There were times where the angel is by him and kind of elbows him. If you know, I don't know if he had the elbow going, but hey, John, write this down. He's, Can you imagine you're seeing something? You ever experienced something and 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 you're supposed to be doing something else, and someone elbows you, and you're like, "How? What are you doing?" You need to pay attention. Look what you're doing right now. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, he was just so amazed by what he was seeing. He, he, he was a witness to the word of God, what God had said to him, but also the testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave testimony like you would in a court of law. When you testify of something that is true, that's what Jesus did in this book. That's what the you know, chapters 2 and 3 are all about and, and, and many, many other places. Jesus spoke. Je- Jesus gave testimony to something, and he recorded it. But also the things which he saw. Again, he experienced it. He, 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 he went through the process of visually seeing and hearing things and, and experiencing things, being caught up and so forth, and it was very real. But it wasn't just a few things. Notice the word all there in verse 2. To all things that he saw. And I'm so thankful that John didn't hold anything back. He didn't say, well, they're going to think I'm crazy talking about some animal with multiple eyes and horns, and so I'm not, I'm not going to include that. No, he, he included everything. He said, I put everything in here, everything that I witnessed, everything that I saw. Now, notice in verse 3, the guaranteed blessing. He says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. There are portions of Scripture which talk about blessings associated with that Scripture, but nothing like this. It's a flat-out guarantee. Remember that Cajun guy? A uh, guarantee. That, that chef or something? I don't remember. Was it a chef? Cajun chef? But this is a full-on guarantee, money-back, just, you, you can bank on it. More than a money-back guarantee. It's a promise. And, and to really understand what this verse is talking about, we need to kind of be transported back into that day a little bit. Related to the Jewish synagogue, after which they modeled much of the church services in the early church. The Jewish synagogue, you know, they didn't have Bibles back then. We are so blessed to have Bibles. They didn't have the Word of God for their personal possession. So in a synagogue, they would come to all gather on Saturday there, and they would have scrolls. The synagogue had scrolls. They had copies of the word of God and there would be a reader and the reader would 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 read from the scroll the people would hear it and there would be an expectation that they would value it and obey it and that's what John is describing here we personalize this which it obviously we can when can read it we can hear it because the word read really means to read out loud there we can read it out loud. We can hear ourselves read it or read, have other people read it and so forth and, and apply it ourselves. But this is talking about the blessing associated with doing it together as a family. The word he there in verse 3 is singular, but the word those is plural. It's talking about the church service of someone reading it and then people hearing it and then those that hear it keep it. And that's important for us to understand. There's a lot of blessings associated with reading the book of, of Revelation, understanding it and so forth in my personal devotions, but there's a special blessing also, and he's made, that's what he's mainly speaking about, for us right now. I'm being blessed right now by reading this book. You're getting blessed right now by hearing it, and then we'll all be blessed as we keep it, and the word keep is really focusing on uh, treasuring it, holding it as dear, and also, of course, ob- obeying it. So that's very, very important for us to know. How many churches re- go through the Book of Revelation? Think about how many churches are being robbed right now of this blessing because they, oh no, the people won't like it. They won't. They won't. They'll, they'll get scared, or we can't understand it, or whatever the reason is why they don't go through it in, on Sundays. But but it's sad to me that 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 uh, God's people are being robbed because they won't go through it together. As a family. Now, notice he says the time is near. That's important. Now, that's again what I talked about. It's the other one was when things start to happen, things are going to happen fast. But this is talking about the time, the, the way that we normally speak of it. That that we need to be expecting the Lord Jesus at any moment. And at the end of the book, Jesus Himself says that He's that He's coming quickly. Twice, Jesus Himself says it. So the whole church. Uh, for all you know the church age has been dependent upon that Jesus could come back at any moment and so we need to be ready to go now lastly we need to understand the number seven if we're going to ever make sense of the book of revelation we have to understand the number seven so that's why I read the first part of verse four John to the seven and he's going to say churches and so forth numbers are very important in the book of revelation If we're going to understand the book of Revelation, we have to understand his use of numbers. There are more references to numbers than in the book of Numbers. (laughs) You know, when Moses took a census at the beginning of their wilderness uh, journey and at the end, even that doesn't have as many numbers (laughs) represented. Listen to the numbers that are in this book. two, three, three and a half, four, five, six, seven, ten, twelve. 24, 42, 144, 666, 666, 1,000. Don't be afraid of 666. We're not going to be here. 1,000, 1,260, 1,600, 7,000, 12,000, 144,000. And these two I get real excited about. 100 million and 200 million. Those are the numbers represented in this book. But the number seven is is listed 54 times in this book. And it's very important that we understand the significance of the number seven. So I want us to hold your place here and turn back to Genesis chapter two. We want to look at the first time that seven is in the Bible. There's another Bible interpretation principle or rule called the rule of first mention. And that is a a rule where you look at the first time something's listed in the Bible, and that gives you the best definition or the most complete definition uh, of the word, and it can carry through 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 the rest of the Bible. So we want to look at the first time. Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Notice that word finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done then god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which god had uh, create which god had created and made this is the first time we see 7 so god completed creation and he rested on the seventh day so it signifies completion. number Seven is the number of completion or fulfillment. It's very important that we know that. In chapter 1, verse 14 of Genesis, we're told, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them them be for seasons and signs and for days and years. So the stars, the rotation of the earth, the rotation of the earth around the sun, the moon's rotation of the earth and so forth. That's how we get our years. That's how we get our, our uh, you know, our months and so forth and our seasons and all of that. But where we get our seven-day week is from here because God rested on the seventh day. So that's important for us to see. It's the number of completion. And when you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, when the serpent comes on the scene and tempts mankind, From that point on, the fall of man occurs, the history of man starts unfolding, and God aims to bring a Messiah. He works through one nation, Israel, and we see all through the Old Testament, their struggle and so forth, God uh, bringing forth them into the land, and then the Messiah being brought forth, and so he can redeem uh, mankind and and put everything right to how it was before Genesis chapter 3, and now in Revelation we see the culmination of all of that. So people have said that Genesis is kind of like one bookend, and, Gen- and Revelation is another bookend. And everything's right here. If God puts everything right here, and he puts everything right here. It's in between that's the mess, and that's what we're in the middle of right now. So there's going to be a culmination of everything. God's going to complete his plan. He's going to complete his history Everything's going to culminate at a certain time and climax at a certain time. He's going to finish everything. And that's why we see the number seven so much, 54 times, in the book of Revelation. Because its he's completing it. It's fulfilled. And this world really wants to know, doesn't it? This world wants to know, when is all this going to end? When is all this craziness and this, this insanity and people just going crazy in this world and selfishness and sin? And everyone has a sense, and most people have a sense that, this can't keep going on the way it's going on forever. God has to end this thing. or This has to be something that happens to, to fix the problem that we're in, of this world, and man living in rebellion to God. Well, God is going to fix it. It is going to be culminated. It is going to be climaxed and finished at one point. It's going to be uh, the, what he fulfills in the book of Revelation. So there's all kinds of sevens. So there's seven churches, seven spirits, and seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven thousand, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven vials, seven mountains, seven kings, seven beatitudes, seven years of judgment, seven letters to seven churches, seven I am statements, and seven doxologies there in the book. It's completed. It's finished. And there's no reason why we should be afraid. There's no reason why we should be thinking that we can't understand it. God doesn't, why wouldn't God want us to understand how he culminates everything and finishes everything and completes everything? He does. He wants us to understand it. So we can, we can't have a, um, a better a- attitude than just, Lord, speak to me. Whatever you want to reveal to me in this book, let me know what's going to happen in this world. Some people are afraid to know what's going to happen because somehow they believe if they know it, then somehow it's going to happen sooner and they're not going to be able to experience all the things in this life that they want to experience before God brings it all to an end. That's crazy. Our knowledge of understanding what's going to happen doesn't speed anything up. What speeds it up is evangelism because when that last Gentile puts their faith in Christ, chapter 4, verse 1 of Revelation, we're gone. He's going to catch us up to be with Him. But our lives are supposed to be given over to him and the things of him, having eternity in our hearts, sowing into eternity. And if we allow him to do that in us, then we're usable for him. It's so good to remember that our lives are not our own. They've been bought with a price. We don't get to determine what happens with our lives. We wouldn't want to. How good were you at running your life before you came to know Christ? I tell you what, I wasn't very good at it. Even at a young age, and I mean, you probably expect that at a young age, at the age of 20, most 20 year olds aren't doing all that good in terms, you know, apart from the Lord, of running their lives. But I thought I was pretty good until I kept hitting the wall, hitting the wall, crashing and burning, and finally I surrendered my life to Him. But I, I'm very aware of where, what the train wreck my life would be if I hadn't surrendered to Him. And so we should want His plan for our lives. And reading Revelation and understanding it and living it and obeying it reminds us that this life is so much bigger than our own lives and our own pleasures and our own desires. It has more to do with his desire and where he's leading everything. So we have our own little lives going on and we have our our own focus on our own lives. And and he comes in and he interrupts that and says, get your eyes off, off of that and get it onto me and live for me. I have something greater for you. And so we don't want to fill our lives with all these temporal things, dividing our our focus of our heart and not thinking about eternity, because then we're the least amount uh, useful for him. And he wants to use us in a very significant way. So I'm real excited. I know we're just scratching the surface here, but we have to have a good orientation if we're going to properly interpret this book we have to have a foundation upon which to build and understanding that that the book of revelation is that the borders of that puzzle and the old testament are the puzzle pieces and the outline that he's given in chapter 1 verse 19 with all of that as we compare scripture with scripture we're, we're going to understand it so i want to encourage you today if you're thinking i can never understand this book you're going to understand this book we're going to look at it. And we're going to let him do his work by, by his spirit, through his word in our lives. And there's a blessing associated with doing it as a family. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are so excited about learning your word and learning this amazing prophecy. Lord, thank you for the blessing that we get to receive by studying it together as a family. Thank you so much for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to focus on being faithful to worshiping you in every way and learning your word and obeying these things and treasuring these things. Thank you, Lord, that it's your heart to reveal it. You have no heart at all to hide or conceal. You just want to reveal all of this to us. And we're so thankful that you win in the end. Thank you so much. Help us to live lives that are surrendered to you. Help us all to live for eternity and not just for this world. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We have no hope of living a life that's pleasing to you or living for eternity apart from your grace. Help us to keep our attention and our focus on you and eternity, Lord. We know we can't serve two masters, so help us to serve you as the only master. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's. Stand.